From the nation's capital, this is The Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK. Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK is brought to you by Clean Home Decor. Get your home looking sharp at clean with a double E, homedecor.com. Emmanuel and Claire Annie receiving you on Choice FM UK. Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for listening. From our studios in central London, this is The Screen Lately Show. Two hours of movie talk, TV talk, and music inspired by the movies. Thursday afternoons from four. We're broadcasting online at choicefm.uk, on Mixcloud and on Twitch. We're also streaming at bohemiauphoria.com and screenlately.com. Remember to hit subscribe on YouTube for all the latest clips and highlights from the Screen Lately show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Screen Lately. This is the show where Black Lives Matter, not just on screen, but off screen as well. Coming up between now and six o'clock, the actress Victoria Ekonoye will be here to talk candidly about her life and career. We've also got award-winning actress Kathy Tyson joining us in the studio in her first interview since her big BAFTA win last Sunday at the Royal Festival Hall, where the great and the good and the new Doctor Who were in attendance for one of the big nights in the awards calendar. We'll also have the Bohemian Euphoria Film of the Week, which stars Nathan Bryan, who I'll be chatting to shortly here on The Screen Lately Show. 07548 806 927 is the WhatsApp number where you can live chat with us in the studio. That's 07548 806 927. 
email us news at screenlately.com or you can send us a tweet right now at screenlately all that to come between now and six here on choice fm uk kathy tyson will be with us later this hour to talk about her bafta win and a whole lot more our next guest today is the bafta nominated writer and actor nathan bryan who features in the bohemian euphoria film of the week ecstasy which you can register to rent and watch today at bohemiauphoria.com. Nathan Bryan, good to have you on the Screen Lately Show. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. I'm just recording the last time we actually met in person. I believe it was in Leeds, what, some four or five years ago. Do you remember? What were we doing in Leeds? Um, it was some film festival. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I did go to a film festival in Leeds, but I can't quite remember. Yeah, yeah it was, I was there with Claire and you were there with Teresa. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm sure. I'm the name of the festival place. And it, uh, or was it No no Gloss, maybe? That's the one. That's the one. Oh, okay. In which case, I do remember it and it was brilliant. So it was in like this warehouse. That's right. They had loads of craft beers and amazing films. Yeah, it was a vibe. So remind, remind me what took you and Teresa there? Did you have a film there? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think we made, I'm not sure. Yeah, it must, I think it was our film Boss Man that was there. Um, and yeah, I think that's why we were there. And then I think Tree was doing a um, panel talk there. So um, I went for the day and to watch myself. <laughs> and what is, what is it like watching yourself? Um, do you know what? Back a day, I didn't really mind. Whereas now, I, I absolutely hate it. I've, I've actually... Back a day, I, I watch and almost enjoy I don't know. Everyone's like, what? Why are you like this? And then now as I've got older, I, I don't enjoy it anymore. I think it's... I don't know why. I'm just like... Maybe it's because I care more and I'm more uh, analytical of what I know to be skill. Whereas when I was younger, I was like, I'm just glad I'm at the party. <laughs> you know? So do you, do you envisage yourself uh, kind of continuing to perform on screen as well as, because you write incessantly, you never stop yeah. writing, obviously, with the film and the TV stuff, and now with the books, all you yeah. have to do is write. Is there, is there a reason behind that? Is that lie behind? Uh, no, I think I'll always perform because, you know, when you've just got that itch and it's like behind your knee and it's always like when you get into bed and you're comfortable and then that itch pops up, that's what acting is. It's my itch. It will always be there. I love to do it. I'm always going to love to do it. I will always want to do it. Um, writing is like therapy. So um, I have to do it. And also stories come into my head all the time. So I need to get them out. Otherwise, I won't be able to make simple life decisions that I'm not very good at making anyway. <laughs> we'll come on to that. Um, but so... <laughs> With regards to writing and creating, I, I read an interview with Samson Ko the other day where he talked about what, where his career trajectory would have gone if it wasn't for acting. He had plans to be a footballer. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, very talented. What plans did you have? If it wasn't um, I had none. 
none. I had no plans. I was Nathan, no plans. It was it was either this works or it don't work. And um, I can say, I think I can say it's it's just about working. Uh, no, yeah, I, I left school with some really, really shocking A-levels. Uh, really bad A-levels, but somehow managed to get a place at uni. I mean, I don't know what this... This uni must have been just taking anybody and everybody, but they took me. Uh, but I turned down the place anyway. I didn't want to go to uni. I just wanted to try this acting, writing, lark. And um, we thank every God possible that it, it's um, kept me afloat up until now. And were there, were there dark days? I'm sure as a creative, we all have our dark days. Were there days when you thought, I can't do this anymore? It just Oh, man. Never uh, I can't do this anymore. No, because... I don't know. I don't know. I've never had a day where I've gone, I'm going to quit this. I've had broke days. I mean, listen, I was broke prior broke until I was about 23, just before I got Benadorm. I was on the two bottles of wine for a fiver. <laughs> I was getting Teresa to get me Oyster card money to get me to her house to, you know, hang out. So, like, I was broke. Like, when all my friends were getting, like, good jobs and good money... Like, I had not a penny to my name, like nothing. But I think because I was around loads of young creatives who were all in a similar sort of situation, um, I didn't really see it as a problem. And I was happy. And I think even though I was broke and I couldn't make any uh, sort of, I couldn't move out of home before I got Benidorm and I couldn't do quite a lot of things. I felt creatively empowered because I was with loads of other filmmakers and writers and actors who were all broke. And one thing we did do in our spare time um, was make films. So it, it to me wasn't really, a, uh, it didn't make me upset. So the dark days more came in the sense of like, I don't know, lots of rejection in our industry or problematic moments uh, with colleagues or I don't know, just, you know, what it takes to kind of navigate this industry, those dark days. But one thing I, I think, even to this day now, I, I never go, I shouldn't be doing this. Because I'm not good at anything else. I'm literally not. It's this or nothing. <laughs> so talk to me about your creative journey kind of before Benidorm and then mm -hmm. your kind of creative journey from Benidorm to your BAFTA nominations. Yeah, that's it. Um... So the creative journey before Benidorm was just say yes to everything, try everything. So I left school and I just went to Lyric Youth Theatre and I just did every single workshop possible. So I tried choir, I tried poetry, I tried um, uh, playwriting. I literally, any, anything and everything I tried to do, um, so it just meant, I, I tried stand-up. I did a 10-week stand-up course. And what happened was that I got a job as an usher at the theatre. So every single, I made like, I don't know, £80 a week or whatever it was. But every penny I had, I'd put into the workshops that I was doing at the Lyric. So £8 an hour, I would assume. £8 a week is... No, £80 a week, not £8 a week. Did eight pound a week? Moderate. I wouldn't be able to get my two bottles of wine with that. I'll tell you that for free. Couldn't get nothing with that. <laughs> um, 
No, it was 80 a week. But obviously, I had London privilege as well. And I think that is a real thing as you create that we forget is that my parents lived in London and um, they let me stay in the house for free once I was in my, you know, 18, 19, 20, or, you know, whatever. And, and they were being unbelievably supportive. So I wouldn't have even been able to, this sort of privilege I'm talking about, of not fearing. Um, quitting is partly because I know that worst comes to worst if this all went my mum would always let me stay at the house and try again you know so that's a big privilege but anyway so I was just trying um basically trying everything just seeing what fitted and I failed loads and god knows why I joined a choir I can't sing um but I did pantos where I was singing and dancing and I'm a great drunk dancer, according to me, but I'm not a great sober dancer doing 70 shows over, you know, three months or whatever it was. But I gave it all a go. And whilst I was doing all of that and just taking in everything, I was making all my own work all the time. I was filming sketches, filmed a web series. I was basically uh, just nonstop every day, even though nobody was asking me to, I was just creating work. That was it. Every day, all day. Uh, I'd wake up, go around to my mate Stuart's house. We'd write sketches all day. Then we'd watch loads of stuff. And then we'd start guessing producers' emails in our industry, trying to get these big dons to talk to us, even though we'd done jack shit, we were still trying to kind of get their time. So, and all this time, you know, I was auditioning for shows because I had an acting agent that I'd got, um, who came to see me in a show at the Lyric and then signed me. And then I was on the auditioning circuit and I've done Casualty and I've done Some Girls and I've done a couple of little films and whatever it was. So I was always hustling, do you know what I mean? And I think Benidorm was a real, it came at a brilliant point because it came out I was about 23 and I didn't quite understand how you went from like, making YouTube videos to earning a living. I didn't understand that. I've been in some girls and whatever, but the pay's not, it's good, it's great, but I'm only doing, I filmed for a week. It's the BBC Three show. Like I spent that money quick. Uh, so I didn't quite understand what that transition was. So then Benidorm came and it completely changed my life. It paid me crazy money. It was on ITV, um, crazy money for me at the time. Um, I got to work with some of Britain's best comedy actors. I got to work with one of the best comedy script writers in our country. I got to live in Spain for six months of the year. Um, and I really just got to learn about the industry and how it works and being a series regular in a show and kind of like, I don't know, just like really opening my eyes to what it takes to try and be an actor at that level the 12 hour days and whatever it was, just, I learned a lot. And then it also just really helped that show because so many people watched it. Uh, it helped put a spotlight on me as a creative to kind of decide where I went next. I'm sorry, I just spoke for ages. No, 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 it's, 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 it's great to hear kind of the journey. Like I said, that's how I kind of started this question. So, and what was it about Benidorm that attracted you to kind of be part of that cast? Obviously you allude to the comedy writing talent and we'll get onto the writing of comedy because for me, that's one of the hardest things to do in our industry to write comedy. I mean, who, who do you test to find out whether your lines are funny? 
um, you were, I mean, you know, when we get on to talking about bloods and that, you, you just, it's uh, a process, you work with a team, everybody reads that, everybody's got an opinion on it. And also it's beyond of like, what's funny. It's like, what's funny, would the character say that? Would the cat like, there's so many different dimensions to make a line or a joke funny. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> and I'm still trying to master it, understand it. Every time I'm writing a script, I'm trying to understand it more. So I guess working on Benidorm was amazing because it was a show that had run for so long and I got to read, you know what I mean? Like obviously I'm acting the show, but I get to read, I think we did 10 episode series. So I did three years. So I think I did about 30 eps in a relatively short period of time. So you just kind of go through a sort of comedy crash course and you will learn how to deliver lines, comedic lines and how to play it and how to do it. So it, it was, it was, yeah, it was, Fantastic, a life-changing job. I can't remember. What was your next question? Did I even answer it? Um, in terms of how do you know when something is funny? I guess you kind of answered it, but maybe you could... Yeah, I guess it. my answer to you is that you never truly know until it's in front of people who have never seen it or been involved in it. So um, generally at screenings and uh, things like that. I mean, obviously when I'm writing, there's lines I find funny and I laugh at, but... That don't mean nothing. <laughs> like, I, of course I laugh at my own jokes, but doesn't mean like five million people or a million other people are, you know? So it, it, it's, uh, it's a really difficult balancing thing. There's no one answer, I guess, is the answer. What, what I find fascinating about you and kind of your creativity, when I first became aware of your talent uh, was through the short films and mm. they had quite social... Um, they had a lot of social commentary in the films, which for someone like yeah. me, I actually found not just deep, but actually funny as well. And it's, it's quite ironic that you can find humour in the strangest of places. And yeah. that's something that I got a lot from your kind of short films um, over the last, what, six, seven years? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that was kind of, I think reality, the web series was kind of the first time where I think it just, Luckily, again, Benadorm gave me money and I took that money and I put it straight into the, making a web series because whilst I was acting and I was doing, you know, I was doing nice, I was doing different pilots and other shows or whatever, I wanted other people to, because when I was filming, I was writing kids' television for like Rasta Mouse and Apple Tree House and I wanted other people to see my writing as a more serious thing. So writing reality was kind of, I wanted to show people my voice. I wanted to show them what I was angry about. That's why it doesn't really follow like a narrative. It's kind of like, uh, it's a social commentary on where I am and where the world is. And I, I think looking back in hindsight, I think what's really nice is that it, it shows my writing style probably more than a lot of things I've done. It shows, like you said, a subject matter. And then it shows how I put comedy into it, even in the darkest or weirdest way because that's who I am and that's how I see the world. So I think that sort of web series, it, it, it's actually what got me Bloods, that uh, got me involved in Bloods. That was the web series that Seb saw, the producer at Wafaka, <laughs> and brought me into the office. So it really was a game-changing piece for me in my career. And, and just talking of kind of game-changing things, I, I, I was minded, uh, I watched Leroy 
um, the other oh, yeah. with you and Carl Queensborough, who went on to star in Hamilton. I mean, yeah, phenomenal. Did you had, did you get a chance to watch Carl in Hamilton at all? Oh yeah, man. I've I've known Carl since I was like. 15, 16. So we've literally grown up together uh, and watching his rise has been joyous. Like I saw him in Hamilton and, you know, I just thought he's a superstar. He's like, it's almost superhuman to see him rock the stage so easily um, and effortlessly. So um, yeah, it was incredible. Incredible. And could you see yourself doing musicals? Oh, no, <laughs> no, definitely not. No, why not? I, I do not have that skill set, and I'm completely happy to watch other people who do. I don't have it. I don't, a musical is. Uh, I, I'd consider writing a musical, but I am. Um, I. I no. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So let's talk about your creative journey then, from Benidorm to your recent BAFTA nominations. Congratulations on those. Obviously. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. You yeah. Like, winning, but I'm sure the journey is just as sweet as the destination. Yeah, the journey has been a joy. Um, it's been a total joy. And it's been like, discovering. It's just been a joy. Like, I love working. I love being busy. So I think from Benidorm, I made reality. Um, and then... Benidorm got cancelled, which was really sad. Or didn't get cancelled. Yes, it ran it. It ran its. ITV said it's. It ran its. uh, Whatever. Like it ran its time, and it did amazing. It did ten years. uh, Do you think it ran its time? No, I no, I don't. No. I mean, you think it's obviously about work, but from a creative point of view, would you say it? No, no. I think a show like Benidorm could run forever, and that's because people it's got a format where you can always introduce new holiday makers new hotel workers sure. and people watch it people love it you know i was in benedorm not too long ago and people are still adore the show so um no i don't but that's that's fine you know uh darren the writer creator has he's a very happy man and he's creating loads of other brilliant stuff so he is all good um but after that happened that was like you know, a bit of a shock to the system because it's like so hard to get those sort of series regular roles. Um, so I just put my head down and was like, my dream has always, 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 always been to create a TV show. Um, so I think reality, we screened it at the BFI. I invited everyone who I possibly could, anyone who I ever with sitting at the back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I invited everyone and the BFI was so supportive and um, gave us NFT One, which is like my dream cinema in the world. It's like the most beautiful space. It's on the yeah. South Bank. It's 500 seats. It's like, it's like, oh, it's a dream. Um, anyway, uh, Seb, the producer at Rough Cut, um, saw reality and called me in for a meeting and he wanted to try and develop reality into its own TV show. But I was really new in my writing stage then. So I just, you know, we put a pitch together and it got rejected and it felt like a shame. But me and Seb really kicked up a really great uh, creative relationship. And um, he gave me a call one day and was like, look, I'm Sky have commissioned Samson Kano to write a 10 minute Sky, um, Sky short. And Samson's obviously the busiest 
funniest man in the world. Um, would you be interested in co-writing this short with him? And he said, oh, Samson's got this idea of a character based on his upbringing who was either going to be a getaway driver or a paramedic. And that kind of based the character of Malik. Right. And Samson and I and Tom got in a room with Seb and we created this 10-minute short, which was just on Malik, Samson and Wendy Jane Horrocks. And um, we, uh, we screened it on um, Sky... Like, somewhere on sky and it was amazing it was one of the best moments of my life i remember because it was at some fancy hotel in um soho and like remember i've been making youtube videos paying people on pizza and beer and then now i'm filming in pinewood studios this 10 minute short that i've made with samson and angelina jolie is driving past on a car dressed as maleficent and i'm just like this is this is it whatever this is i want this but i was also so happy after we screened the 10 minutes to be like all right next job do you know what i mean and it just so happened that sky were like uh Talusha, our commissioner said oh i i want to commission a half hour pilot script off the back of this 10 minute short and i was like whoa this is this is big this is big because i've never written a half hour before right i've written lots of different uh you know kids tv shows but they're generally about 15 minutes 20 minutes and um, I've written plays, but that's a different format. So this was like half hour sitcom. And I'd never done that. And obviously I've grown up watching sitcoms, but it's different. So anyway, like me, I always jump in. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I go away uh, and I work with Seb and we build up this world of characters. And I collaborate with um, an incredible, well-seasoned comedy writer called Paul Doolan, who's amazing and supportive and kind. And we kind of expand the world from this 10 minute short. So we flesh out the world of the show. We introduce Joe and Lawrence and all these other different partnerships, Gary and Kareshma and the Darrells. And we really create a, an ensemble uh, paramedic universe. I remember I'm not a paramedic. I'm, I don't think I've ever called 999 because I ain't a snitch. No, no, I am a snitch, but <laughs> I am a snitch. I would snitch, but I've never had to. And, um, a first aid course? Uh, no, I've never done a first aid course. So all hard. Of, I've done about three or four. Um, you should, you should oh, really? Do. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that. Maybe that would help my writing. He says, go, you know, after writing, God knows how many episodes already. I should. But what I did was is that I... I bought like every single paramedic diary that there's ever, paramedics write diaries, right? And I bought them all and I've read about 10 of them and they are the most harrowing, intense uh, diaries you will ever read. Like paramedics are here, I know we know this, but these people are heroes. Like they will go from like a kid dying in a, secondary school just suddenly out of nowhere to uh, um, uh, a pregnancy and a lift to a shooting round the corner like all in one day and they struggle to find a lunch break anyway these diaries uh, just help me understand the world of paramedics more and then on top of that we spoke to loads so basically my process as a writer is to uh understand the world to a T. I become a nerd. I try to become a paramedic. That's the only way I can write the show. And obviously we have medical advisors and all those things. So and anything you see in the show that sounds 
really slick. That's probably not me either. <laughs> but I tried. I tried. Um, anyway, how, how, did the joke, how did the jokes come? Was it easy to come once you no, understood? No, you know what? I'll be, I'm going to be deadly honest. Like, I think what was amazing was uh, the process of writing this first script. Is that Obviously, I'm used to kind of writing my jokes that I find funny and we film them the end <laughs> but obviously this is tv this is other people's money it don't work like that sure. so um I'm I must have written uh a first draft of the script and I handed it to my producer and it was um it was 44 pages or maybe more maybe like 50 pages I don't know and he was like have have you ever written a half hour before? I was like, nope. Uh, and he was like, okay. He literally sat me down and was like, okay, there's three, we want to hit about three jokes on a page. We want callbacks. And he just took me through the skeleton of what a sitcom is and, and actually kind of how to structure a traditional sitcom joke, you know. And that comedy comes from reverses and lies and uh, it comes from all these different things that maybe I hadn't, I'd never thought about, I had instinctually, like we all know how to tell a joke to try and make people laugh, but to craft one on a page is like a different breed that I'm still learning now. The more, I just figure that the more I do it, the better I'll get. So I'm just trying to take on as much as I can to get better. Uh, so no, the jokes did not come easy and they still do not come easy. But uh, I think of the jokes as character. So I don't go, let me try and write a gag. I think of that. Uh, what is a, what is a what would the character say in this to try and make it funny? Um, so yeah, that's yeah. I can't remember what I was waffling on about, but <laughs> it's okay. And talk to me about the moment you heard that Bloods was nominated for a BAFTA, not just one but two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was hungover as hell because. <laughs> I was at the RTS Awards the night before because right. Samson won Best Comedy Actor for Bloods and it was yes. fantastic. Um, and then I turned on my phone in the morning and my phone was just pinging off. And like, obviously, being nominated for a BAFTA has been a dream since forever. And, you know, I believe in audacious thinking. So I always believe that, yeah, I have to believe it's going to happen one day. I didn't know when that one day was. And this is my first show that I've co-created and I've written. So I was expecting to go through way more hoops before I was even nominated. So I was surprised and overjoyed and I felt proud and I felt all the hard work and blood, sweat and tears we put in that first series. It was a joy. So I was buzzing. And even though we didn't win, the whole BAFTA experience has been lit. Like the way BAFTA have treated us, all the parties, all the panels, all the people I've met at the awards, it has been incredible and an honour to know that I was there. I was included and that's fab. Now I spoke with Johnny Salmon last week on the Screen Lately show. Um, something that occurred to me as I'm talking to you and obviously when I spoke with him, how surreal was it to kind of see you and your peers at the RTS Awards, most of them winning or nominated, and then seeing the same heads at the BAFTAs? I mean, how often does that happen? No, I mean, I don't, this is, this is what I mean, like it, seeing Ajani winning, see it, remember, because I first met Ajani at the Screen Nation Awards. Wow. Years ago. And I was, yeah, and I was with Kyle and Nicole, and I think his web series won and my web series won. And we were just in some 
bar in Piccadilly Circus, wherever it was, and we were just gassed young creatives. And now I'm seeing the exact same people at the BAFTAs, at Moe's Black Excellence After Party, and we're all up there, you know, having the time of our life. It is a dream. That is exactly what we all manifested, we all said, we all wanted. And then we're all up in Moe's shacking out like I, i've known mo for years i used to put on little comedy nights back a day mo would come down and absolutely kill a set so yeah just watching all these people that i admire and i rate just you know go on and take the world wow it's sick now before we go i must tell you about um look up the book now yeah. um, Funny enough, uh, literally the other weekend, um, we just celebrated me and Claire, our second daughter's first birthday and her... Uh, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Now, we invited friends and family, and one of the gifts that we received was your book, Look Up. And it was reminded me, said, isn't that Nathan? Yeah. <laughs> that, you're the same Nathan that's writing all these children's books. I mean, fascinating. I mean... Tell me about the, the pivot to writing children's books. And there's Man, quite a story behind Look Up as well. Yeah, no, to be honest, writing kids' books was a complete plot twist, if I'm completely honest with you. I had no plans on being an author, really, because I, I'm not a very good reader. I struggle to read, I always have. Um, and it just so happened that uh, I had a... I pitched a story to an animation company in Soho, where my partner was working, and they, they turned it down. Uh, and my agent was like, this would make a really good picture book. And I'm like, well, I don't write picture books, so I don't really know what I'm going to do with that information. Then I got a big tax bill through that I didn't have the money for, and I started panicking, and I said, I better learn how to write a picture book. So I went to Waterstones, and then I bought um, loads of picture books. I just bought all the top shelf, all the big hitters I just bought, and I read them all and I studied them and I wrote the first draft. And obviously I've worked closely with Dapo Adiola, who is probably now one of the biggest illustrators, maybe in the world, maybe in the country, whatever. And um, I worked really closely with him to kind of create Rocket, build our first story and, uh, and promote it, which uh, I think it's gone pretty well. So yeah. And then, sorry, then we got booked with Penguin and they're amazing. I don't know, I'm skipping over lots of bits, but working in the publishing industry, one thing I will say is that my experience has been fantastic. Like, I'm talking from all the support we get, going to all the book festivals and bookshops up and down the country, to all the kids and World Book Day dressing up as rockets, especially the young black kids. Like, it is, like... It is one, it's one of the best things. I'm so proud of being an author now. And I'm, I'm so, and I read more now. I'm finding reading easier. Uh, so yeah, man, it was a plot twist, but now it's like a huge part of my life and I'm writing loads of more books and I'm working with Dapo loads and it's fantastic. So thank you. <laughs> now, like I said, my, my daughter's just turned one and I've got another daughter uh, who's four they're probably not old enough to kind of process this interview, but when they grow up, I'd like them to see this interview and see the person that wrote that book, Look Up. So if you could speak to them now, tell yes. them the inspiration for Look Up and why it's such an inspirational book. So Look Up is a story 
really for us all, especially in this modern age, to kind of look up from our technologies that we are obsessed with, like I'm obsessed with my phone, I'm sadly, and um, it's to be present in the universe and look at all the beautiful things around us. That is the sort of inspiration. Um, I was forever always refreshing my emails to see if Steven Spielberg had emailed me, he has not. And um, I just needed to be more present in the world. I needed to enjoy the beauty. So that's how the story is created. Like I am in the book, Jamal, Rocket's brother. Uh, and if anything, yeah, you know, and all the wonderful, you know, black women in my life represent Rocket. And yeah, that's kind of how it's sort of inspired me and all the other journeys like Clean Up, her second one and the new one, Speak Up, that's out in September. It, it's all about kind of rockets about making the world a better place and inspiring us all to to enjoy the world and treasure it and it's also a message to me to do the same on that note nathan bryan thank you very much for joining me on the screen lately show it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me and i'm a huge fan of you and claire so thank you thank you checks in the post thank you good <laughs> <laughs>
in closing I know we might seem imposing But trust me, if we ever showing your section Believe me, it's for your own protection Cause we see things that you need not see And we be places that you need not be So go with your life, forget the Roswell crap Show love to the black suit Cause that's the men in, that's the men in intro record you'd ever hear in your life. We wanted to dump the whole history of pop music and starting again by just sampling things and building things up like that. In those days, the idea of taking somebody else's song, not only was it somebody else's song, it was the Beatles and ABBA. Just nicked whatever they liked. They were going to get into trouble for that. That's not necessarily a good enough reason for not doing anything. They were the biggest pop band at that time. I machine gunned the audience with blanks, and that was our exit from the music business. We got a phone call saying they were deleting everything, and that was it. No downloads, no tours, no festival gigs. They deliberately cut off millions of pounds of revenue. There's a much, much darker side to it all. I can't talk about any of these things. I'm not in a position to, I couldn't even start to. That whole thing of us being conceptual artists got completely out of control. So they're on doing more and more extreme things. The KLF, who've pulled a string of bizarre media stunts, which have had everyone scratching their heads. They're not known for the guys that did 3AM Eternal. They're known as those guys that burnt the money. We wanted the money, but we wanted to burn it more. They weren't going to give people what they wanted. They were going to give them what they would never forget. They could not and would not be stopped. When they had an idea, they were going to do it. Success doesn't necessarily come from doing things right. In the trailer for Who Killed the KLF? A music documentary which reveals a fascinating insight into the machinations not only of Jimmy Corti and Bill Drummond, who you also heard from, but of art, culture and capitalism who killed the KLF, uses previously unheard tapes to explore the rise and fall of the KLF in the 1980s and 1990s, touching upon themes that perfectly capture the 21st century zeitgeist. Watch Who Killed the KLF today by registering your details via the Bohemia Euphoria film streaming platform, where you'll find a cross-section of films and documentaries available to rent or buy, including Ecstasy. 
directed by Grant Taylor, a short comedy film about a disabled father and his son's crazy attempts to buy drugs so that the dad can dance with his wife on her birthday one last time. Based on a real life revelation, the ecstasy can temporarily alleviate the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. The film is inspired by Grant's father, Bob, who has lived with Parkinson's for over 20 years. Ecstasy stars Brian Bovell and Nathan Bryan, who you heard from earlier. For more films and recommendations, visit bohemiaeuphoria.com. Still to come before six o'clock, we've got Victoria Ekonoye with Claire Animosigwe here on the Screen Lately Show. Joining us now, though, is Kathy Tyson. Kathy Tyson. Claire. Welcome to the Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK, which is the digital version of the defunct Choice FM, which was on FM radio. So what that means is that people can listen all around the world and then there's replays on things like SoundCloud and Twitch, which are these internet kind of radio shows where you can see the person whilst you're obviously listening yeah. to the audio, which is amazing. We are delighted to have you on the show. Thank you, Thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Thank you for being a filmmaker, Claire. Thank Continue you. to be a yeah. filmmaker. And now I'm just learning from today that you're writing and directing as well. Talk to me about not your writing job. yet. Not um, writing. But hello to the listeners out there. I'm glad to see Choice FM is still going. Um, Thank you. Do you have fun back then? Oh, yeah. I mean, but I've listened to a lot of um, wordy radio. You're like, I listen to people speaking. Uh, rather than a lot of music on the radio. I don't listen, I listen to Jazz FM, but I will start listening to Choice again now. You know, sometimes you get stuck in your ways. Mm. So <laughs> that's why I haven't, because I'm stuck in my ways. How important is it to have stations like Choice FM? Kind of, for those that don't know of that generation, what was it like for the culture in terms of listening oh. to stations like that? Well, it's good to reach black the black audience as well. That's very important. That's why I said yes straight away to come to do this because, you know, sometimes in PR when we're doing things, they don't think about reaching out to the black networks that are there. So 100%. I've, I've always thought like that. Um, and how important was it back then? Yeah, I mean, it's it's got great music. So um, people had a lot of pride in that. And I think Pastor St. Joseph's sister uh, was part of Choice. Pam, that's right, yeah. Um, what was her name? Pam. Pam. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're the pioneers, aren't they? they she was part of the pioneer, uh, pioneering radios. And, of course, there was pirate radio before then. It's quite a family, the mm. Josephs. You've got Patterson, Pam, you've mentioned. Yeah. You've got... Um, Who's the other one I'm thinking of? There's the oh, what's her name? Um, it's escaping me now, but I can see her face. But anyway, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of your your family, kind of starting out in this, was it always acting for you? In, Only in, from the age of sixteen. Because uh, because I did it at school. I did drama at school, and and I liked it. And I I just on that eve of leaving school. I, they said to me, the careers teacher said to me, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd be told I'm good at drama. And I liked drama. I think it's really important to, for, for young people. If they, if I was hooked, I got hooked into drama mm. by school. So I went with my gut, mm-hmm. not my head, um, because drama was the only lesson that got me into school. We did three hours every Friday. So I went to school. I had a 
in the last year of school, I had a difficult, you know, relationship with staying there. Mm. I'd lost interest. Um, so that was the only one I went into, you know, to, and that was three hours and it engaged me, um, you know, so that's how I got involved with it. And I, then from there, I, um, you know, I did an audition at a college. The careers teacher put me in touch with, you know, the the local college and I got an audition. My first, I did an audition. Uh, so the links are very strong, you know, from school, you know, and, you know, just talking about it now, a person who didn't go to school very mm. much in the last year of my schooling life, it was, you know, I was dropping off uh, even before that. So, you know, there were not pupil referral units then. I didn't behave badly, mm. uh, badly, there's that word, <laughs> um, but I was disengaged. And was so, there anything happening politically at the time, Kathy, or was it personally? Yes, the riots, 1981, mm. the, the, the riots happened in Toxteth. Mm. I was just disengaged. Okay. I, um, you know, um, thingy, we, the riots happened, but um, concentrating, you know, it, when you're a teenager, I mean, my mind was taken up with uh, trying to fit in you know there was a subculture you had this culture of going to school but the even more important subculture of what is going on you know who's going out with who okay who's the, who's got the most things to wear uh you know the latest fashions mm -hmm. the in crowd yes i was never part of the in crowds but i wanted to be sure but so i was caught up with uh that and Liverpool at the time was incredibly boring for me um, mm -hmm. as well. Um, so um, the um, I wasn't engaged. Okay. Um, that so politically the riots did happen. I had a really good home life. Good. My mother was a professional woman, um, and you know I, my father was absent, but my mother was there all the time. She was very consistent. So I just. All sorts of factors, really disengagement, um, but drama held it together, held me together, <laughs> and I and then I got in at the college and started the journey there. My real education really began in those drama classes, but also after I left school. Right. Then something took off for me. I became. I applied myself to the college. I went in. I. Yeah, you know, I just just had a change it. of sort absolute change, change of think, commitment. I think that can happen after mm. school. I think so because I'm just I'm, you're just taking me back. Obviously, I'm from a different generation, but I remember that bubble of 15 to 16. And you're right, I was sort of feeling disengaged. I started smoking, and it was that sort of GCSE period where we're just drained now. We just want to do our exams, move on, and you think you know everything, and you're so consumed by everyone. Like you say, what people are wearing, who's dating who, mm. and it's the height of puberty as well, mm. I think. Mm. Um, but then when I got into college, yeah, I just knuckled down, and I was like, I think I'm going to go for it now because yeah. actually, I'm closer to being an adult now less than being a, a, a child. Do you that's, know what I mean? Well, that sounds very noble, but mine wasn't that. Okay. Mine was, I was interested in the subject I Good. was in. 
Good. Um, but also, I didn't think I knew everything at 16. I, did, I felt yeah. okay. very, you know, uh, I wanted adventure. Mm. Um, mm. I didn't. It was, I, you know, it was just um, sort of, I can't remember, um, very unfocused. Um, you know, I, I came from a home where there were books there, so I had one foot in, in that, and I'd been abroad by the time I was 16, mm-hmm. very, very lucky, mm. um, and witnessed different kind of responses to me as a black person abroad, which were much better than in England. You wow. know, our people found me attractive abroad, yes. when I, and that was a new discovery uh, <laughs> of that, so... I was very fortunate I went abroad you know some people that didn't even go on holiday in England so you know mom, because for, you know what my mum did she was able to afford a holiday for us so I had these experiences and I knew there was life beyond Liverpool wow. you know just sorry just going back to your education do you remember your teachers yeah. I know. but yeah uh, yeah teachers uh, Mrs Saul a maths teacher she was you know kind um and interesting and uh, she was one of them, and the other one was Irene Lucas, which was a careers teacher, so she wasn't a teacher in class. Um, the teachers that I've been, and Mr Singh, of course, he was in junior school. Um, he was a maths, another maths teacher mm. who was full of passion, so it doesn't have to be, um, you know, creative teachers. Um, they, he stands out to me in my junior school, very much so. We were very excited when, when we had, everybody was changed by him his lesson when it happened during the week it was incredibly exciting what's going to happen now and I think what was exciting was his personality his charisma he'd walk into the classroom and you know sort of the kids sat up in their chairs in very expectant you know uh, you know but not not that didn't happen a lot and I also grew up around about four uh, male teachers in junior school, which is really rare. So I grew up around that presence, Mr. Quayle, Mr. Thomas, Mr. Singh. There was another one um, who was quite, I've forgotten his name. Yeah, Mr. McGuinness, and there was another one. So we had that male presence there in the school. It was good to see that working. Mm. Good in mm, a way, they, they were role models as well mm-hmm. because they were not distanced, but they were there every day. Um, we could see them in action. One was the drama teacher. I never understood a word he said. He was so <laughs> I couldn't understand him, but he was interesting. One was funny. So I was gonna ask you, did any of your drama teachers have any impact? Obviously, you're now um, world famous actress. Um, how, how much of a part did they play? Uh, as I say, um, Mr. They didn't, but the fact it was drama, the fact that drama was in school for three hours on a Friday. And Mr. Archer, who was a science teacher, took it. And he seemed to change because he was he was the science teacher, but he also did drama. And when he was in drama, he was a different per there was something different, different energy, a lot more relaxed. Right. I mean, the whole business of learning as well. Um we were learning in a different way. We were learning in a whole body fashion, you know, whereas when you're sitting at a desk and you're just like that, well, our whole bodies were learning in drama. It, it wasn't dynamic. just, 
the head thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's more dynamic, okay. dynamic, but the whole body was there and there was a different way of learning and it changed the way the teacher administered the class, administered the teaching than when he was in science, you know, because it's a different, different skills are involved. But yeah, but more teachers have affected me more since I left school, you know, my, uh, um, my um, access teachers, um, uh, Claire, sorry, I forgot, Patricia Sweeney, um, Anne Sawbridge, you know, in City Lit, um, and Claire, who was the creative writing teacher, they were all very, um, you know, very inspiring, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it is a vocation. I've always known, you know, since I've been an adult, it's a vocation to teach. Um, because and it's quite humbling because they're thinking about you mm-hmm. rather than themselves mm-hmm. um, and that went on a lot at the city lit uh, in the city lit uh, course that I did so the teachers beyond you know in adulthood I, I remember a bit more because I was more engaged with education as an adult than when I was younger sure. apart from the junior aspect yes and do you feel compelled to pass that on to budding actresses coming up who look up to you and kind of seeing your body of work? Over these any months? actress does that's older. Um, compelled. I mean, a lot of, I was with the young, younger ones yesterday because we're filming um, Horde for the BBC and they, um, you know, I'm, I'm listening to them and of course they, they, all of them have trained and I didn't. So they know certain things. They've been through a certain system that I haven't been through. So that's quite interesting. Um, I, yeah, I'm i there to, you know, listen to them um, and give, you know, inspire confidence. Yeah, uh, if, if, they, if they want that. Yeah, um, I, I, as I say, you know, I'm, I'm doing my own thing at the moment. Um, and if I'm working with younger actors, uh, I I will of course help them out if they if they need that. I think I mean I needed help when I was younger. True. You know I appreciated um, older actresses' kindness. Really, if they if they felt if they feel at ease around you, that can be a big help because they've seen you know forty years as opposed to one year, right. and that can kind of be quite overwhelming to to someone. But as long as the kind kindness is there and people you put people at ease when you're in their company rather than um overwhelm them and and young people do need a chance for working with a young director she's 25 mm-hmm. she's written and and she's directing this project and I was thinking yesterday wow that's amazing what she's doing and it's quite it's quite a, quite a, quite a big responsibility and to just be mindful of that mm-hmm. that what you know and support her the, the director you know that and she can do it and, and I think once somebody who's young proves to themselves that they can do that and they're just going to go from strength to strength you know um in because because the product is there I've done it and obviously they'll they'll want to do something more um in the future mm. but yeah I'd like to I've done workshops before with actors um and non-actors um you know I think and it's just and seeing the power that drama has for people gives them uh, you know in, in in what they're doing um 
it's it's wonderful to see the effect, not necessarily what I've got to say, but the effect that the actual um, what drama has on people. Mm. You know, I'm just the messenger, really, if I, in that situation. How do you how do you get impact in terms of your performances? Do you get a sense as to how you're impacting people? I think after the award, the BAFTA, uh, with um, with comments that have come back have been very very flattering. You, you, you never really know. You just go and you do your job, and you know you try and do do it well. And um, and I thought, oh right, so. It, um, it, that you know it, that has meant something to people. Um, not that I'm sitting there, you know, wishing it would, but it's it's quite flattering um, to to think that. But there's still more more work to be done. Um, how um, I need to push myself, you know, uh, to I need to challenge myself and. I haven't kind of like reached, a, even though I feel I've reached a pinnacle of my career receiving the, the um, Best Supporting Actress Award, that is some kind of, pin, you know, step, sort of arrived at something. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, I'm, 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 you know, life isn't over yet. So mm-hmm. it's okay. Uh, I'd like to build on that and, and build on um, the the role because I've been thinking about the role because it's a small it's a small role right. polys in mm-hmm. in yeah. in help and I was thinking I'd like to do more roles that do involve uh, a change in in what I look like mm. um, even age wise and mm. to and to and to and to think about that um, you know where I've I've got to do something different to my own physicality and mentality mm. to, to to portray them, um, and, and I'm deeply flattered to have received an award um, for that. And um, I didn't I didn't expect it. And you don't I, I don't do a job for an award because as many people you know the award is is the work That's because it. we love what we do. Yeah. You know you're a filmmaker. Sure. Just the actual doing it, we're blessed. And, and I think you're a filmmaker as well. I am. Yeah. yeah sorry. Touchwood. Yeah. Yeah. Producer. Yeah. Making yeah. films. Yeah. Yeah. That was the original plan anyway. But yes. Yeah. So you know the, what the reward is um, in doing that, but to be to be recognised is very wonderful. And I also am very thankful to Daniel Kaluuya. I think that's how you say his name. Mm-hmm. I'm not too that's sure. Very nice one. Because he mentioned me, I think, last year or the year before. I think it was last he year. He did. He did. I remember. And people yeah. were like this. Did you hear your name was mentioned? And I thought that was so lovely of him. So if Daniel's listening, I still haven't said thank you to him personally. Uh, we'll pass it on. We'll pass it on for for saying that um you know um which is you know and i've got people to thank like um mona hammond um Mm. who was full of you know Mm. passion and versatility um carmen monroe Mm -hmm. and norman beaton of course you know the pioneers came over from caribbean in the 60s and 70s you know what a, an interesting time that was for them to to come into Britain and what they had to go and through, and, go through. Um, yeah. and they still they still did. You know, um, I was talking to one of the actresses yesterday, and she, we were discussing our characters, and I said, you know, that 
she thought that, you know, if her character lived in a racist area, that she wouldn't go out much. And I said, you know what? I grew up in a racist area. It wasn't, not everybody was a racist in it, but there was an air of difference. And I said, you go out. Mm. Um, you got to live. You, you go out because you learn mm. to, you know, from an age of five, my mother walked down the street and um, people would say, uh, they would call her the N-word. And I was a little girl. And your mom, were, your mother's white. Yeah. She? So maybe N, 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 N lover. lover. N That's lover. Right. N lover. Yeah. And yeah. there were, you know, it was a particular family that would walk on the other side of the road. <laughs> and I was fearful. Of course. But my mother, I looked up at my mother and she just walked ahead and didn't wow. say anything. So wow. I used to, you know, you don't stay in. No. You, and I said to the actress, you know, I went out. That's my experience that, you know, um, that that you go out. I think post-pandemic, people are thinking that I just stay in. I've got my smartphone. I've got my laptop, and I just mm. shut off. But it's mm. like no, in the seventies, eighties, you're going out. Well, yeah, you go out now. Especially, you can't stop life you know, and let people. From yeah. when you are out, sure, and if it happens, and then you you just sort of like see somebody overcome it, like your mum. And it's deeply uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I did get slapped across the face once as a child, you know, um, and they were bigger than I. And um, But you go out. Do you think that informed some of your acting roles, Cappy? Because I feel like, obviously, as a Black British girl from the diaspora, I have watched you since I I could watch telly. And um, I'm just quite young. Do you know what? No, but it's just like, you know, for me, you talk about Mona, you talk about Carmen. And Mm. for me, I talk about you. I talk Mm. about Judith. Mm. I've actually got a selfie of us. I'll Mm. show you in my phone. Mm. 16 years ago, Mm. when I left the industry, because I didn't feel like I was being Mm. seen and went into my beauty career. But and that's how I met you, Mm. because I was a makeup artist for a magazine. Mm. But I was like, Kelly Tyson. And that for you, you're always so like, humble you can't even believe that people still (laughs) (laughs) you have your moments okay um but so for me there's that and then I say to myself okay there's a strength to Kathy in all of your roles Mm -hmm. and I and I see it and I feel it Mm. and I it just takes me back to uh, Mona Lisa which is obviously Mm. a very special project because a lot of it was shot in King's Cross, oh, where yeah. I live. Yeah. Zoe Nathanson was my agent at a time. She yeah. was yours. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in the film. She, she's she in the film as she a, was as my a, agent. But, oh, um, she's not your agent. No. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah, right. she was mine for a short time. Um, and Bob, obviously, he's no mm. longer with us. So I just want to know, do, do, when you pick up a script, are you looking for a character that can do vulnerability, but with that edge of strength? It's like, I, if, it, if it interests me, mm. I mean, of late as well, I want to do more lighthearted stuff mm-hmm. because um, it's fun to do that. I did a bit yesterday and I'm playing a hairdresser oh. and I, excuse me, I had some fun in it, sort of like, you know, I'm doing it with a London accent and I thought... <laughs> Dropped into it there. Know, yeah, I'm just practising still. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so it's it's about trying to be open to what arrives here rather than me 
sort of putting something on it to try and be a bit flexible yeah. and you know to try and you know bring the authenticity of the cat or make something of the character build it up uh, or put it put a backstory on it and um yeah so of, of late i'm trying to obviously get something that i respect um in the in the piece um and and then hopefully just be open i think you know that would be my my uh big uh you know thing to I'm, I'm smiling because my agent it wasn't acting but the masked singer came mm. looking for me um <laughs> and my agents didn't like that, that mm. idea of it at all okay. all of them and, mm. and i you know i'm not really into um reality stuff um because uh i I, I'm not born in of that era. That one of the things Not is sure. that, um, and I am private, so I come from an era of you don't tell people everything about you because uh, not not through any virtue, but because um, it, it's sort of if they know so much about the actor's life, they they won't believe the character that the actor is doing. Mm. so it's a kind of trying to be as much actually removed from it what I'm yeah. portraying is, yeah. is what I, that's the era I come from yeah that's sage, so, sage advice um, well it's a different era now and I, but I think there's people, something to be said about that though. well it, there's, there's mixed things mm. because there can be a sort of aloofness about that and people people want to identify with you Right. So mm. the good thing about the era now is people feel like the stars, not because they're explain. Oh, yeah, I went through that. They're possibly identifying th with, with them more because of what they're saying. You know, this sure. is what I you know, this is what's going on in my daily life. Mm. Um, I don't do that, but it's like, oh, yeah, there's a bit there's a lot more connection because of social That's media, true. although it's not direct connection there's they're, they're a bit closer people are more reachable a lot more closer yeah um so there are good things to be said in about either camps so um where do you sit in the whole social media privacy well, i have them but i don't use them very much because i'm busy now i've got i'm trying to look for you know the next project that i'm doing i'm working on that so if i had more time I'd probably do more of that, but it doesn't really interest me, um, uh, you know, but I put, Facebook is the main one I put in too, um, but the other stuff, um, not really. And we are advertising my uh, short that is at the Barnes Film Festival and hopefully at, at some other ones, but the first one in London is Barnes on the 22nd of June. So okay. we will be doing some stuff for that, but not on a daily basis. And not about your personal life. Yeah, um, I've done some though on Facebook. You know, oh, I've um, seen I've seen some posts. Yeah, yeah it's there, but it's not Facebook every either. moment. Yeah, uh, okay. You know, because I'm, I, it's I've been busy of late, and um, yeah. I, but I do look and read on Facebook. Um, you know, but yeah, I I. Uh, I just, you know, I think I've got a lot of friends, so I can talk to them if I want to. I, you know, I'm very blessed. I don't have to 
kind of reach out through Facebook. Uh, and some people may feel they have to. Um, and I can understand that. But yeah, that's where I sit with it, really. I, I use it, but not there's there's seems to be very few hours in the day, really. So tell me about it. Yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> Just bring it back to music. Um, you talked about the mass singer there. Would you say? Oh that? yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> oh, you try to ignore that. One? <laughs> no, I was, no, I was thinking. I forgot what I was talking about. But um, yeah, they and, and I thought, you know, would I be? And my, you know, my partner said to me as well. You know, no, I can imagine. I mean, instinctively, I'm like a no to that. But then it can sound a bit snobby because a lot of people watch stuff. It's popular entertainment, mm. and I tended to veer away from popular entertainment because um, a, it's not acting. Um, and be, and it would take me away because doing something like mm. the last thing, they didn't come for me, but they were starting the talk possibilities of that. Yeah. That would take me away from a job. Mm, that's and true. I just, I've got enough money. I don't, I don't need to do the mass singer. So, you know, it's like the first port of call is my job. Mm. And your craft and what you love. Like what I yeah, love. Yeah, and, yeah. and if I missed out, and also being myself in that and, I, you know, it's, um, I, I probably, I mean, I probably have fun, I think, but I don't watch the programme either, so I don't know anything about it apart from people in a funny suit. Does it feel that there's a lot more black actresses? Yeah, like yes. yes, there's loads of black actresses and they're all, they've all got their names, African names Indeed. as well. Um, How does it feel to see the kind of prominence? Because obviously, when you started that, it wasn't quite as no widespread. Great, isn't it? Mm. I think there's still more to do. Um, like putting people, you know, like two roles for especially women in, in, thing, in things, you know. But I, I, I there's definitely a difference um, in the in the industry. Um, it's, it's just great. Uh, so, uh, forty years next year, I'll have been in the business. So, wow. charting that change over forty years yes. has been—you know—it's there. I've seen it, um, and just you know, wanting more, especially for women who are older. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the thing. Um, getting the I mean, the youngsters need a, cho a chance to do stuff. Uh, no, mm -hmm. absolutely, undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I was talking to Samantha Spiro, who I'm working with, and we're both the same age. She's a bit younger than I, um, but we're, we felt lucky to still be in the business. Some people have just left yeah. it because of age-wise. Mm, that's true. You know, I was having a conversation with a financier and she was saying that she's working on something with Judy, Judy Danch. Yeah. And that's lovely to see, you know, someone she wants to see more of that, the plus 60s, 70s, 80s, still getting that work. How old is Judy Dench now? She's 83. What? Is yeah. she? Hello. Oh my God. Hello. Is she still working? Is she still working? As you said, she was on set with her, so two weeks ago. Oh, it's lovely to see her. I mean, obviously she's, she's lost sight in one eye, but she's still going. You know, she? and she's beautiful, you know, facially. She's still gorgeous. She's always got a lovely heart as well. Okay, I've Judy not met her. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She's a team player. Oh, nice. You know, she likes to play, you know. Um, so bless her. My mm. God, I hope I'm acting till that 
Wow. Time. Yeah. I was going to ask, so you don't see yourself retiring anytime soon? No, I like it. Fortunately, I mean, I do, I do like the countryside, so I do see myself eventually leaving London to mm. live by the sea. Mm. Um, but at the moment, no. Uh, especially as the new thing I'm doing with the uh, filming now, um, we have got Lillian coming out in this year, doing the festival rounds, and then we are working on the second short anyway. Uh, hopefully that will be done by the end of the autumn. Um, nice. So there's, I'm busy directing now. How um, are you finding it sitting in the director's chair? Well, you make it from start, don't you? I never want to forget my acting roots. Um, so I'm balancing that, keeping that in mind. Um, but it, it's very, you know, you have to start things from the beginning because I blend into a producer as well as being a director. Um, but I had a producer for my last film, but this one at the moment I'm doing the two. Mm. So uh, seeing it come together is exciting, you know, building the blocks, getting the locations in, yes. securing them. I think we've secured all of ours now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a different, you know, there's a lot of admin. There's a lot of yes. um, what can feel like uncreative work because it's organisational stuff that needs to be done. Um, but it's great because it gives you agency. You're going, okay, yes, this is what I want. And asking for things is, which, you know, if, if things can happen, making things happen is, mm. is very exciting. 100%. Yeah. You know, to try and make them happen and developing my vision as a director, that's what I'm trying to do now because I've got so much to learn, wow. uh, you know, and I'm just I'm just at the beginning of my journey in that area I feel so it's exciting to but it's a commitment you know once I I feel as if I, I never stop working because when I do my acting that's that but then there's right okay now I've got a te I've got two jobs mm. so now I have, as you probably are aware yourselves yes so now I've got to tend to that yeah it's uh, never ending I know, and getting um, work-life balance around that is mm -hmm. really important to just, okay, well, don't be so overwhelmed. It's nice, but um, you tend to use time, try and use time well. Yes. Um, but I'm aware that before, you know, when acting stopped, I did wait around a bit, not wait, but did other stuff. And mm. now after the first, shooting the first short, I... Thought, oh, I'd like to do more of this and mm. seeing what that entails and just decided uh, on somebody for the two, the two lead parts have been decided. So that's good. Okay. Just need a date. I need to get that, need to get that um, date now for when we do it. That's the thing. Um, getting all that organised. So the um, shooting schedule and... Yeah, yeah, just the date for it. Mm -hmm. um, and not tackled... I think you've done a feature, Claire, I have, haven't you? yes. And uh, I don't know how long it took you to shoot yours. Was it Finding Forever? Uh, that's the next one that's coming. Oh, right. Which we actually sent you the script for. Have you done it? No, we've not done it. Oh, I'm laughing have got a Yeah, you? yeah. I've, that's just a mock. That was for oh. our investors, yeah, because we have lots of meetings. I've shot No Shade. That's right. And that's what is, you came that, to. That's not a feature, is it? That is a they're feature. All yeah, they're all features. Absolutely marvellous. Yeah. That's the one I'm that's shooting at the moment. Debut. That's a documentary. You're shooting it at the moment yeah. in London. Yeah. Yeah. Are you into boxing? 
Uh, not watching it totally. Okay. Why? So the picture in the background on the right is Joe Joyce, the heavyweight boxer. Yeah. And on the left as is a his, baby. As a yes, baby, yes. And to the left is his mother, Marvel, <laughs> who is blind. But if you met her, you'd never know that she's actually blind. Oh, who's brought up by a blind mother? Yeah. yeah. She's so, the first black woman to successfully climb Kilimanjaro as well as being blind. Oh, my God. Her story is incredible. So. so is it about her or him? It's about her. It's about her. Oh, right. Yes. So, and she lives in London? Yep. Yeah. South of the river. Plattin. So how far are you down the road on your documentary? We're in post-production at the how moment. Are you? Yeah. So is it, what are you? You're going to put it to... Um, Festivals. Festivals, yeah. Potentially broadcasters. So we've got a few more interviews. I've got one lined up with Frank Warren, big mm. boxing promoter. And mm. then uh, festivals. And then hopefully it will be somewhere on a broadcaster. Because Channel 4 have just committed to sort of giving money, haven't they, to documentary? They all have. Yeah, Channel 4, ITV, I know, mm. for instance, some funds. Mm. And just the other day I read about Warner Brothers Discovery. So mm. they're all kind of pitching for... Black content, which is always good. And That's good. Yeah, we're all here for it. You're a director now, so I'm sure you're going to tap in. I have in. pitched to some people. Yeah. Well, not pitched. I've just spoken to them about um, a couple, an idea. Well, I've emailed them, so it'd be really nice to talk to them about that. It's very, it's very satisfying to give others work as well. Yes, and, yes. You know, if if I'm able to, other other actors. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. That you know. Uh, but also, it's also satisfying to still act. Yeah, I'm trying to do the two. You're doing it. You're not trying. Tr- you said you're doing BBC, <laughs> doing and then the you're BBC directing award. your second show. Come on, hopefully, hopefully you're hope, doing well, it this year. It will happen this year. But yeah, I I don't want to forget about acting because that's what I got the BAFTA for. As no, well. but that's everyone and knows Kathy Tyson, the actress. You know, I, but you I know. just thought, um, you know you there's still some a lot of enjoyment I get out of it and mm. if I can do the two I, I'm very you know I want I want to do that you will you are <laughs> after award-winning actress Kathy Tyson thank you very much for your time today we're so grateful to have you on our show thank, thank you very much and before we let you go mm-hmm. if it's at all possible it's just a ritual we do of all of our guests yeah can you name, if you can, um, your favourite song or soundtrack from a movie? And take your time. I might not come to you. Well, I think soundtrack is probably, excuse me, um, something to do with, I mean, I did like the Godfather soundtrack. Nice. Yeah, you've got a fan here. Yeah. yeah. I watch it every Christmas. Do, do you? My, my, my partner's seen it about 15 times. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, every year. But, oh, gosh, that comes to mind. Okay. Um, but I'm Is sure that... there's some... We'll play that no, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll play that out. Yeah, that's a beautiful I'd track. Like to think of a happy one. Yeah, <laughs> no, because it, it signifies marriage, murder. Yeah. There's so many scenes that yeah. they, they throw yeah. it on, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's beautiful. I mean, it's timeless. Um, oh, God, I'm sure there's another one. Anything, I mean, I don't know whether there's been an Edith Piaf soundtrack, but okay.
gosh, I can't think of anything. That's okay. We'll, we'll play the, God, the Godfather track out, the theme track for Godfather, because it's so gorgeous. Okay, I want yeah. to know what that medal is on your breast. Oh, this? Yes. So this is the MBE that I got from Prince Charles two years ago now. Gosh, what was it for? So it's for services to the ethnic film industry in the UK. I'm the only person in the UK to receive an MBE for that time. Oh, my God. I looked at it and I thought, there's some importance there. <laughs> well, we knew you were coming, so I'll, I'll make the effort Isn't today. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, yeah, proud moment, yeah. Yes. But like you, the work's just beginning. You know, yeah. I've, been, I've been plugging away for 20 years. Mm. So before Buff, there was BFM with Menelik Shabazz, who without him, I would have been... Buff as well. No, it's thank such you. such a predominant, really good film festival. It's a beautiful it? festival. Victoria, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a while since we spoke, so I'm really it looking has. forward to this. Literally, I was just about to say we met because we are actually on the same agency. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I reached out to, well, my agent reached out to your agent, even though yeah. they probably share the same office, um, because I wrote a TV pilot mm-hmm. and I that you and another girl, woman on our um, roster would be fantastic to read. And um, yeah, it's been a process of sort of pitching it, but you are mm-hmm. a versatile, you know, actress. You're a TV actress. You've done film. You're away right now on a job. How did yeah. you get into entertainment, Victoria? Well, um, I'm actually a singer. I've been singing since I was maybe three, four years old uh, and driving my mum insane, <laughs> I imagine, by locking myself in my room and singing along to all the songs to, I guess, try to craft my voice. And then um, my actual introduction into the industry was musical theatre so it was The Lion King and that was I started that in 2007 um, and it kind of has progressed from there so I went on from doing that to, to doing the Blues Brothers in America which was a 22 state tour over a really short period of time it was crazy um, and then I had my first TV role in 2014 which wow. is crazy <laughs> It's crazy. So 2014, so just coming up for a decade, eight years. What was yeah. that first role like? Oh, gosh. So it was the Royals. And incidentally, um, Netflix have just picked it up to air. So now, the because it, it, it was uh, an American show. So, you know, it aired in the States. It was with Lionsgate. Um, and now let Netflix have it. So you can actually binge watch all four seasons uh, in the UK it's really exciting we're all really excited um congrats and that was it was very um thank you thank you it was really nerve-wracking to be honest because it there's such different mediums and there's such different um crafts if I'm honest the skill of, of acting for screen and acting for stage are completely different and because I had a very unorthodox way of becoming you know being a part of this industry I didn't have that training to understand how to navigate that so I just had to go on instinct as much as I possibly could and hope that <laughs> hope that it worked um but yeah I had a great time we did four seasons I was gonna then... say it must have worked because you did you was in all four seasons weren't you yeah yeah it was so much fun we had a great time um met some amazing people on that show and I'm still friends with them today and it's so lovely uh, to be able to say that because sometimes you can get so bogged down with the actual work and the character and you focus and focus that you don't get a chance to create and develop relationships with cast members and crew members but we did do that on that show which is lovely um, and then my next tv job which I actually got at the as we were filming season four of the royals was Coronation Street absolutely so, yeah so that's been um I mean that was a hell of a whirlwind and that's you know it's an institution it's my mum's favorite show um she was has been watching Coronation Street since she was 18 years old wow so and she's just turned 60 so that's a very long time (laughs) uh yeah and that was an honor to be honest because it's just one of those shows that everybody knows and loves and being a northern actress as well it's kind of it's it's the pinnacle it's where you you kind of want to you hope to achieve and then you kind of go on from there and hopefully that that will be the case 
And that's a bit of a bucket list thing then for you, isn't it? A bit like for, sure. for us as Londoners, EastEnders would EastEnders, have exactly. Yeah, exactly. The holy the Grail of television. It is the Holy Grail. <laughs> that's lovely. How long was you on Corrie for? Uh, a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. it, was, it, it flew by. For me, it really flew by, though. Um, I think when you come into something and you're kind of the new girl or the new guy, it was it was uh, Paddy and I who played my husband, Jude, coming into a show where everybody has a rhythm and they all know exactly what um, their characters come to them so easily. Mm. And for us, you're kind of you're trying to hit the ground running and it can be quite daunting. And it was for me, especially because I'd also watched all of these people growing up you know for yeah. years and years and years um and it was very nerve-wracking but I have to say that the we really looked out by having um Patty Clare who plays Mary on the show so she played my mother-in-law on the show because she is just incredible she's an amazing actress an incredible woman very smart and very funny and so she it, it was almost like it made our job so much easier to be able to have her to anchor onto in the show brilliant and so Victoria you're very vocal you know outside mm -hmm. the sort of world of television about different mm -hmm. causes so the first one that I wanted to speak to you about um was sickle cell mm -hmm. now this is something that has become ever so prevalent to me in the last three years I um have had two children Mm -hmm. And we spoke about that as well. I know, I know, but I still like to say it it's, it's a joy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sickle cell, yeah, became something that was really important because, as you know, once you kind of go for your first scan and they're talking about your bloods and your mm -hmm. heritage, you know, and your kind of biochemistry, they're looking out for different things that might impede on the pregnancy. Yeah, for sure. Sickle cell, in the sense that I have the trait. And what it really did for me was kind of open up the fact that, yeah, you know, I, I do suffer with fatigue sometimes. I do have different things that I go through as a sickle cell trait. I've not got the full blown. Yeah. But, I, you know, people with the trait do have certain kind of like um, uh, lesser um, presenting. What am I trying to say? We don't have the full blown going to hospital. Yeah, the symptoms can be a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit dampened. How did you come into contact with the fact that you suffered with sickle cell? Oh, you know, it was a little bit crazy, to be honest, because I didn't present as a child with mm. the typical symptoms. Uh, I do have the full condition. I do have sickle cell disease. However, uh, I have HBSC, so it's a milder version of the full. So HBSS is... is you know, where people really suffer, really struggle. They have blood transfusions regularly, medication every day. Uh, the pain is so debilitating for them almost on a daily basis or at least very regularly. Um, mm. I'm lucky in the sense that my mum was a carrier, so she had the trait, but my dad had the full thing. So I have combined, they, they're, I guess, combined what, what that meant for me was I had it, but it wasn't as debilitating I guess as it could have been um I was actually it was 2004 so I would have been 23 when I realized that I had the full thing because 
they told my mum I was a carrier when I was born. Now, I know that sounds very odd to a lot of people probably who have it and how can you not know that you have it? But two things really. Um, my dad wasn't a part of my life, so I couldn't liken my symptoms to somebody and go, oh, that's what it is. The doctors mm-hmm. told my mum that I had just growing pains, that the pain, the sickle pains I was having were growing pains. And to be honest, we were, we were so disappointed with this for such a really long time but actually realize that it's not so much that it's a fault of the doctor. It's the fact that it's not taught in medical school. It's not up there with so many other things, or at least it wasn't, you know, 30 odd years ago. Um, A lot of people, even now, there are some doctors who have to go and look, look it up before they come and talk to me about it, which is absolutely insane. And, you know, in my opinion, especially when you think of the fact that it can be fatal for some people. That's true. Um, But I, for whatever reason, was very, very able-bodied growing up. And I I did a lot of sports as a child. I trained as a 100-meter sprinter. I did all kinds of, you know, very physical sports as well for a really long time. And I'd struggled. I did struggle, but I didn't know that that was why. Mm. I just assumed I was doing too much. So I did netball, I did rounders, I, did squ- I, I was swimming in galas, I was competing at meets with this with the athletics. And so we just kind of thought, she's just, just doing too much, you know. And I also kind of kept it quiet from my mom just how much I was struggling. So I didn't want her to pull me from the teams. I didn't want to worry her. I didn't want her to feel like I couldn't do what I really loved doing. Um, so I wasn't, 100% honest as a, as a child with all of that and then it wasn't until I was working away in um, in Mallorca in 2004 that I had my first real proper crisis and it was partly to do with the heat and me not hydrating enough because I didn't realize I needed to on that kind of level mm-hmm. and it was really bad um, I had to cut contract that cut short the contract I was on come back to the UK they did a load of tests and that's when I found out so to have the full condition um, and to not know until I was in my early 20s mm. when I think of other people who do have a condition and have struggled with it all their lives, as, as odd as this sounds, I feel incredibly lucky because I had a, a relatively normal childhood because I was unaware of the condition. So the pains and things I was feeling, I was like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And I was just pushing through and pushing through. But oh. I think so- sometimes knowing that you have something makes you do less because you're so scared yeah yeah I I totally get that I totally get that wow so do you find now that it becomes something that you're sort of hyper aware of so you don't go that extra mile yeah absolutely um it it played a really massive part I mean I, I now take it very seriously and I changed my diet I changed my lifestyle really looking so what, after my body yeah how, how so do you mean yeah so I became plant once I found out uh just how bad this was I started to slowly uh cut out anything that I did a lot of research and I started to cut out anything that I thought would be <sighs> detrimental in a health way which also kind of contradicted what you need for your body. So you need iron, the protein. I did a lot of research and I started to cut out the heavy amounts of dairy. Um, I started to cut out 
the high sugar, high salt, high saturated fat, and slowly, slowly um, animal products. So I cut out the red meat, then for a while the poultry, then went on to the fish, and then I became fully plant-based for about three years. I really had to look into the supplement side of things because if you become plant-based and you don't, you can actually make yourself really ill. You know, there are a lot of people out there who who um, have told me actually when they've talked about uh, cutting certain things out of their diet that it's you're almost making things worse for yourself if you don't know how to supplement those, you know, minerals and vitamins and everything that you need. Um, but actually the sickle cell now has played, it played a massive role in my pregnancy. Um, mm. My yeah, son now's 15 that. months. Yeah. he's So Theo is 15 months and he is. He's gorgeous. The he's best gorgeous. thing in the world. <laughs> he's so cute. He's so cute. He Thank really looks like the both of you as well. Thank you. He does. He does. He's Thank you gorgeous. very much. <laughs> um, and he's so cheeky and so clever and so quick. I'm scared because he's growing up so fast. But yeah, he's 15 months. And um, I had to inject myself every single day in the tummy or the thigh oh. with a drug called heparin, which was an anti-clotting medicine wow. because of the sickle cell. Um, and I had to take aspirin to keep my blood thin. And that was for six months of the pregnancy and then for another six weeks after the baby was born. Wow. Just to stop me from, you know, essentially having the all of these really scary side effects that can happen um, with sickle cell and throughout pregnancy. Um, and then I think recovering from everything afterwards took a little bit longer. Sure. Um, recovery in general from any kind of trauma to the body is a lot harder for anybody with sickle cell, as you would know. Mm -hmm. um, so that was quite a lot. And I think it, it made me, you know, having a baby throughout COVID, getting pregnant at that time when it was really scary to do anything, never mind bring a life into, you know, a life into the world and, yes. and be so fearful of catching it. And what would that do to the baby? Because we actually found out we were pregnant in June 2020, which was so soon. Like it was at the beginning where everybody was like, this virus going, exactly. So mm -hmm. it was really scary. And, and I just thought, am I doing the right thing? Wow. We thought, are we doing the right thing? Bringing a child into the world when there's this virus going around that's essentially it's killing people. Mm. And we, and we didn't, you know, because at, at the beginning, that's what, that's what all we knew is that people were dying of this virus. And it was so virulent and so, you know, really contagious. And it was so scary, but I'm so happy that we were able to isolate enough that I felt safe enough because obviously then psychologically I, I, I was beginning to think is this going to be am I going to panic to the point of causing myself harm causing you know the pregnancy to to have complications but thankfully we were able to be safe and stay safe and now Theo is here and definitely ruling the roost running riot <laughs> <laughs> oh god bless you the three of you thank That's you amazing. I mean I guess you know just to switch gears a little little bit back to your career because we spoke yeah. about your tv gigs yeah. and also you've done some films as well do you find mm -hmm. that it's a slightly different discipline isn't it working on a kind of kind of yeah. continuing dramas for tv yeah. as opposed to sort of getting get mm -hmm. out of a film yeah Talk i to have to say film sets yeah i have to say um 
it's actually harder. It was harder on Coronation Street mm-hmm. than anything else I've done because you film out of sequence. You don't film. So, for instance, in the morning, you can have you have a blazing row with the person that you're in a relationship with and you hate each other. And then you go for lunch. And then in the afternoon, you haven't you, you film the section before that. So you haven't had that argument yet. So all the anger and frustration that you've built up has to dissipate. And all of a sudden you're lovely and you're fine and you're affectionate and it's fine. So it number one, it gets filmed out of sequence. Um, number two, you can film different episodes on the same day. That's right. So whereas a lot of the time, not always, but mm-hmm. uh, and also it's a lot. It, it can be a lot, you know, up to eight, nine, ten scenes in a day. Whereas on film, you get a little bit more time you get more time with the script because you know from beginning to end, you know, the arc of the story, the arc of the characters, you know mm-hmm. exactly what you're doing. Whereas with more often than not with, or at least with, with the shows that I've done, mm-hmm. it can change at any minute. You can, it can, the, the block can then move weeks down the line. Um, the storyline can change. Anything can happen. So actually I think doing Coronation Street was my training for screen acting, whether it's TV or film. Um, because of how much you film, how quick it is. Um, and so I'm really grateful to have been a part of that because I feel like it it made me hit the ground running, especially having come from theatre. And again, with the Royals, we had maybe, I'd probably say a week and a half per episode. Whereas it's with Corrie, you can... No, whereas with Coronation but but compared to Coronation Street, where we could do maybe, I don't know, uh three eps in a week <laughs> it's a lot so that's fast-paced for what feels like a very kind of slow mode and slow yeah it's a skill and a half I, I have to say I have wow. to take my hat off to anybody that has done it and I'm incredibly grateful like I said I'm really proud to have been a part of it because it really does um kick you into shape and mm. you just learn so much. You learn so much in such such a short space of time. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So it was probably it was it was tougher tougher for anybody just coming into things to do that than to do film. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in terms of film and TV, which do you prefer? Uh, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. it's hard because with the film like I said because you know the beginning and the end you can exactly map out how you're going to develop your character okay you know exactly how what you know what the end result needs to be you know where your character will be in their head with in relation to every other character in their own storyline so you can make really great choices all along the way and be solid with them Whereas I think, and, and, and I love that, and it's great because you have more time. But yes. then with TV, because it does keep you on your toes, and I kind of have always lived that way, I kind of like that. But also you get a longer period of time to develop that character because it can be over, you know, like I said, I did a, a year and a half with Corey. So for that whole period of time, there was ups and downs and, you know, 
different in, interactions and storylines with different characters. So it's, I don't know if I have a preference of the two. Um, right. I just really like to be able to sink my teeth into the character, whether it's TV or film. Theatre is okay. a whole different ball game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can well, because with theatre, you cannot say, oh, one second, can I just do that again? You don't get that. No, you just got to hit the ground. The audience is there, so they're seeing everything. Correct. (laughs) Every night, yeah, and all matinee as well, and just get it right on the day. But I think Mm -hmm. there's more of a vibe in theatre because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas it's like constructed realism on telly, isn't it? Absolutely. Even more constructed because it's like a couple of takes done, move on to the next scene, couple of takes. Boom. But like you say, you have a clearer overall arc of what the whole world is about. Yeah. What I'm getting from you is that TV, they can change those arcs at a day's no, moment's note, literally. We've had rewrites of the script in the had morning. A rewrite. Yes, yeah. It's literally constant rewrites and drafting in the yeah. no, It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, that's lovely. And so... I want to kind of go back to your personal stuff just because I find you just massively inspiring. I think I'm really quite taken aback by the fact that you've got so much going on personally, but you still show up, you still (laughs) smile, you still, you know, you, you, you must have reservoirs of a lot of strength and courage. And I think obviously that's why women gravitate to you. Uh, (laughs) And I know you're, you're like, Oh, really? I guess no energy. I think I hear what you're saying and it's really Mm -hmm. lovely and I appreciate it and thank you I think for me I'm kind of just I'm I just feel really lucky because I think I have such an incredible support system around me like my friends my family with everything that's gone on um you can't do it all on your own and you know especially with the last six months for me as you know that uh, have been very difficult also having a child a a young child to to raise and 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 love and and protect it's a lot and so I don't know if I could be as um I guess buoyant and and positive and resilient and tenacious as I try to be if I didn't have them um mm-hmm. I, I I do feel really really lucky and my my partner's incredible and he you know I've not been able to work properly for a good couple of years because of different things you know not not consist- consistently with everything that happened with COVID but also being pregnant and then having the baby and then having to have surgery and all of that kind of stuff and so he's like look so many opportunities are coming in at the moment and it's and I'm so grateful for them and he's saying, it's been a really long time. You need to get back to, you know, doing you. And yes, it's difficult because of the logistics of everything, because we have a young child and we live in another country, but you take whatever comes and we make it work. And I'm so grateful for that because I needed to get back to being me after everything that had happened. I really needed that. So, and I, you know, I have so many wonderful messages all the time through from people uh, who have you know read my story and and understand my circumstances and everything that's happened and it's so lovely to know that 
even though it's a very it can be a very dark time you know mm. when you when you go through something like that you're still able to shine a little bit of light for other people it really does mean a lot and it makes things a lot easier because you are pulling positives from the negative and you're finding silver linings and you know in 100%. situations where you wouldn't expect to no of course and I mean you are an advocate for breast cancer awareness yes yes and that's what you've had experience of yeah cancer. what happened mm-hmm. uh so I was so it was six months Theo was six months old mm-hmm. and I was breastfeeding him found a lump in my left left breast um really really if I'm honest from the as soon as I found it I just had this dread because I'm the fifth person in my family now to develop breast cancer and at the time we had had all they'd all had testing and nobody had the BRCA gene nobody had it and it just didn't make any sense Mm -hmm. and the BRCA gene is one of the three most common genes that you can have in your family history and um, that uh causes such a high prevalence in families with breast cancer for, for breast cancer so I had this dread that you know who am I to escape you know that that was what I thought that's how I felt um but also it's really difficult because the amount of changes as you know when that go through your body your mind yes hormonally everything when you've mm-hmm. had a baby Yes. On top of that, if you're breastfeeding, because, you know, some people are fortunate enough to be able to, which is such a, right. a sad, a sad time to go through anyway. And, mm-hmm. and so I felt I felt so lucky to be able to breastfeed. And it was such a special time for me and Theo. But then all of a sudden this happened and it just kind of cast this massive cloud over something that I loved doing so much with him. Wow. So I went and, and got myself checked. I had an ultrasound and the doctors told me that I was fine. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, about three or four weeks later, I just was like, oh. and it just, it still didn't feel right. So I went back and had a second ultrasound. They also said that they thought it was nothing. However, they thought, that because I was producing so much milk, they could see small calcifications and they actually thought it was to do with blockages, which can happen, you know, with, mm-hmm. with so Gosh. many, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so they said, look, continue to breastfeed until Theo is one. And this time he, by this time he was seven months. So continue to breastfeed until he's one. So that's another five months. And then wait one more month where you don't breastfeed at all so that the milk can dissipate because we need to be able to do a mammogram because obviously it's very difficult to see with all of that milk there. Essentially what they were saying was wait six months and, but that I was fine. And it was just, they were just going to do it as a checkup. Now, these were really, we, we, it was, these were private ultrasounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I booked the job on Death in Paradise, yes. went out to Guadalupe filmed that went with my son and my mom congratulations uh, thank you thank you it was incredible um and I, and we had the best time and, and I it was such an incredible crew and cast and I I like to I think of it often and with such 
fond memories, except for the fact that I found my second lump whilst I was on set and did not know what to do. So I had to take myself off for 10 minutes and just, just breathe it out, realign my thought process and my mindset because I was like, you're here to do a job. There's nothing you can do about it right now. Mm-hmm. Put it aside, put it aside, deal with it when you get back. So I did. Wow. Um, and then I got back and Johnny and I and, and my mom and, and Theo, we all went back to the UK to visit family and I went to see my GP and they've got an incredible service, which I think is really important that women know about. And then um, it's called the One Stop Breast Clinic. And if you have any symptoms, you can go to them. They will make an appointment for you. You'll be seen within two weeks. And at that appointment, you will have everything done that you could need. So I had a physical examination, obviously, by the consultant. I had an ultrasound. I had a mammogram. I had a needle test in a lymph node that had become inflamed in my armpit. And I had two biopsies in each lump. This was all on the same day. I got there at 9.30 in the morning and left at 1.30 in the afternoon. So it was like all day for me. It felt like forever. And I went on my own. So I didn't want to worry anybody. Um, but I knew at that point, I remember getting really emotional during the mammogram, during the needle test, uh, sorry, the, the biopsies, because I just, I knew what was coming. Yeah, yeah. I knew. And then I went back to see the consultant like about an hour later and she said, look, I am concerned with what we've seen, but obviously we have to send things off for testing. So if you can come back in a week's time and see the head consultant and bring someone with you. And as soon as you hear that, sentence it's kind of the we are about to give you bad news because they have been doing it day in and day out for god knows how many years they know what they're seeing on the you know on the monitors and so I went back with Johnny that following week and I was diagnosed with breast cancer on the 13th of October um it was a lot (laughs) um I'd only actually told him about the lumps a few weeks prior because again I didn't want to worry him I'd only told my mom the week before the diagnosis and uh, on the 17th of December I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction and they removed lymph nodes from my left armpit so that's all within six weeks yeah and Victoria to close our conversation yeah what's your favorite song from a movie i have been listening to very regularly uh stand up by cynthia arrivo from harriet Where is she? come on back peaceful Whoa. easy now i'm gonna be free or die i've been walking with my face turned to the sun on my shoulders a bullet in my gun oh i got eyes in the back of my head just in case i have to run i do what i can when i can while i can for my people 
While the clouds roll back and the stars fill the night That's when I'm gonna stand up Take my people with me Together we are going to a brand new home Far across the river Can you hear freedom calling? Calling me to answer Gonna keep on keeping on I can feel it in made it 100 miles to freedom would you like to pick a new name to mark your freedom Parentum. early in the morning before the sun begins to shine this hour of the screen lately show on choice fm uk is brought to you by everydayofthewig.com Go online for choices galore and more.